0: You're listening to I'll Have What She's Podcasting, a film and pop culture podcast hosted by Louise Oliver and Jackie Farmer, two tired feminist millennials giving you opinions you didn't ask for about the content they love. Welcome to I'll Have What... (coughs) Welcome to I'll Have What She's Podcasting. With the Princess Brides What a triumph (laughs) (laughs) What a triumph of of, of cinematic storytelling I feel like I was dreading this one a little bit Mm -hmm. Why were you dreading it? Because I know it's good I yeah, on the surface of it, it's good, and I feel like I remember it being this kind of biggish deal when we were when we were younger. Yeah, and rewatching it, I absolutely enjoyed it. In fact, I think I appreciated it on new levels, that, but I don't know if I have a huge amount to say. Having said that, you know, I might just like prove myself to be a liar as we go on because I might end up cracking something open, particularly when accompanied by you, my dear fact-bearing friend. You have the facts. <sighs> so um, I'm yeah.
1: Did I the just facts, set the bar too high some there? Of my are you facts like are half this week. Yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see.
1: Sometimes, sometimes they come out better than I think they will. Sometimes they lie flat. But we can. That's the
0: magic of editing, isn't it? Isn't it beautiful? Uh, Chris will make us sound like we know what we're talking about. So w- where are you with this mm-hmm. then? How did you find the rewatch? Um,
1: I loved it. I had the privilege of watching it with my bestie uh, cause, who had never seen it before. Wait, And um, So wait. told him that we were... I'm
0: not your bestie? Is that what you're telling me? Oh, um, my my um my oldest. No, it's fine. It's out there. It's it's there now. It's out there now. Carry on. Fine. Carry on. Sorry, I love you. (laughs) I'm just spicing (laughs) it up. I'm spicing it up this week, bringing a little uh, soap opera (laughs) drama to proceedings. Please carry on. God, I've
1: I've gone all red. Are you sweating? I just showered. I wish I hadn't stopped using anti-perspirant. Oh God. (laughs) So anyway, my old friend. Richard, uh, who's been my friend since we were twelve, I was telling him that we were doing this, and he was like, "Oh, the Princess Bride? What's that? I've never seen it." Um, which blew my mind because I thought everybody grew up with this film. But then since then, other people have said to me, "Oh, I've never, I've never seen that." So it must have just been either you watched it a million times or you never heard of it. Yeah. I don't think there's an in-between. I think you might be right about that actually. Yeah. And what was So it was quite nice to see him watch it for the first time. What did Um, you think? I think he really liked it. Hot takes where he was a big fan of all of the leather trousers that were Mm. present.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: he was a big fan of wesley's floppy hairdo he did note that wesley and buttercup looked like brother and sister which i hadn't really clocked but they do
0: they do yeah
1: um he has a really good fact oh great like like a really good fact he's so not getting a
0: jingle but we'll come to that
1: <laughs> he's not getting a jingle but i will credit him with the fact great. um or at least dedicate the jackie's fax jingle to him on this occasion seems fair so i also i went round and i meant to bring my chromebook so i could take notes but i didn't so i had to take
0: oh paper notes. <laughs>
1: yeah no I can't read them all well this should be fun yeah he wrote down funny stuff that if, if we come across I'll, I'll let you know what rich really, take
0: I did have fun and yeah. I, I do I do remember why you know I, I was rem- you know there's some comedic set pieces in there that are just like timeless and amazing like you know Billy Crystal mm-hmm. and Ca- Carol Kane when they arrive that's yeah. just exceptional that's just like, joy yeah it's, it's yeah. unparalleled co- comedic cameo I don't know if I have anything like particularly smart to say about it I just had a good time and it's a very very, it's, just, it's very funny and the cast are phenomenal I love the little adorable Fred savage at the top mm-hmm. one thing I did notice um when I was just sort of doing the very light peppering of research that I do because you know I'm, I'm I never study <laughs> uh, was Be into the into my eye <laughs> yeah. the uh, theatrical release poster for the movie is the grandfather and grandson like so grandfather on the chair reading to his grandson. And sort of, it's really lovely. It's a beautiful poster. Um, We should post it on the Instas. That made me really think that that, in some ways is the core of what's going on here. Like it is a fantasy adventure romp and it's very, very funny. But ultimately there's a lovely little message that kind of drives us through it which is this grandfather going to read to his grandson while he's sick and it's very very sweet and it's not really like you forget that because obviously it jumps from fred savage and the actor whose name i've forgotten who plays colombo who is his grandfather peter falk peter falk thank you very much (laughs) you know it jumps back and forth to them not not that often like just when there's kissing really because Fred Savage yeah. has a moment with that. So you kind of forget that that's why we're in this story and uh, in some ways re-watching it I was like I love the moments between mm-hmm. Fred Savage and Peter Falk. I really like those. Like, I think there's. I think there's some of my favorite bits of the film. Yeah, and I think
1: that they're possibly the only parts of the film that it's maybe even fair to read nuance into. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to think about it in terms of you know we are a couple of feminists watching films, and so we tend to take that sort of lens, and it's hard to do that with this film. Yeah. <laughs> Because Buttercup doesn't really have a ton to do. Like she's not super. The the only way I could ascribe any sort of feminist take on it was to extrapolate and extrapolate. And once I did that in the shower twenty minutes ago, the revelation I have is that Wesley is also the baddie. But we can get into that later if it's appropriate and. It wouldn't make everybody hate me too much But also maybe it's just safer to do that uh, Maybe it's just safer not to go there Not to try and read the nuance Just be like this is a fairy story And it's the bits of the story That this child wants to hear while he's sick
0: Yeah I mean I'd be happy to extrapolate Just to give us something to talk about Because to yeah. be perfectly honest I agree that's why I sort of worried about this one Because mm-hmm. what it really is It's not there to make a comment about Female tropes within the fantasy genre Because quite frankly mm-hmm. you're all right but is a non-entity, she's a non-human and we can talk about that because that is absolutely relevant in in a wider conversation about story and how we Mm -hmm. present story to young people particularly young men Mm -hmm. but it is also more than that, William Goldman is sending up uh, the, the fantasy genre, he's very deliberately poking fun at it and in order to do that, the woman has to be kind of as vapid as Buttercup is. Like, mm-hmm. they're all vapid. They're all sort of, with the, well, well, actually, with the exception of uh, an Montoya, to be honest, they're yeah. all pretty vapid, are, are broadly drawn. And I think that's sort of the point. That's where a lot of the humour yeah. comes from. Um, Yeah they have
1: that kind of like idea about in stories from days of yore when people represented ideals as opposed to being like fleshed out three-dimensional people like you have like a knight who represents valor you have like a queen who represents pride you have like a maiden who represents purity like it's a lot more people who are almost like one-dimensional in stories like that so Buttercup is pretty Yeah No she's not pretty she is the most beautiful woman she is of surpassing beauty and that's all we really know about her
0: I mean, she's kind of snooty, because she calls him farm boy and has a whole, like, I'm going to go torture the farm boy thing at the beginning. So to be fair, yeah. she's actually kind of snooty. Yeah. But then again, I don't really know if that's that's entirely relevant. Um, you it's know, like that. the one sort of, like, trait that they do give her is for her to be a little bit haughty. And, uh, but then I suppose that's there. As, again, that's there to sort of... Elevate and heighten the, the the romance tropes and this idea of the the, yeah. the the beautiful princess and the handsome farm boy and you know this st- yeah because she's like a she's a commoner as well oh, yeah she's of course so she yet. is she has not she's living not princess on a farm the beginning yeah she's what is like what how is she described That's right so I got I couldn't get the book from the library I bought Carrie
1: Elwes's book off Kindle but I just threw the line at buying all the books that I ended up not having time to read them all but Glasgow Libraries had the audio book of the Princess Bride is read by Rob Reiner who directed The Princess Bride for those Mm -hmm. listening which was lovely to listen to but most of the narrative about Buttercup in the start is essentially that she's not really trying to be beautiful and that while she's tr- while she's growing up and um, essentially just for clarity while she is still a child she's in the top 20 most beautiful women in the world and like he does like William Goldman does this a lot through the through the book it's like she's in the top 20 she's in the top five she's in the top one kind of thing <laughs> So she's in the top 20 when she's not even like brushing her hair or like doing anything. But then when she falls in love with Wesley, he goes off to seek his fortune. She's like, oh, he might meet somebody more beautiful than I am. And she has been told time and time again that that is her only character trait. <laughs> so she like starts trying and then she becomes the most beautiful woman to have lived in a century. Right. So in the book, it's actually Count Rugen that spots her and spots her while she's a child and spots her potential. Delightful. And then the prince um, essentially offers her marriage or death. Cool, great. So, great, great, great. Um, so there is a the theme throughout the book that nobody actually cares what Buttercup thinks or wants or feels.
0: I mean, that's familiar. Um, yeah. <laughs> as a trope, generally. And I don't... I mean, they managed to sort of make that slightly less harsh in the rendering in the movie, but it's still yeah. very much there because she's just... She's there at the beginning, and we yeah. get a bit about how her favourite pastimes are riding her horse and tormenting the farm boy. Yeah. And she's the impetus for, as you mentioned, for Wesley to go off and seek his fortune, and then beyond that, she gets kidnapped and then <clears throat> married against her will, and, and uh, yeah, so on and so forth. So she, in terms of agency, once again, we are in a situation where the only woman in the movie, apart from Carol Kane, but I don't think in the context in which she's presented it, it, it counts. Uh, I mean, so, of all of the relationships in the film, that's the one I'd prefer to be in. Yes, absolutely. 100%. Aside um, from Inigo and Physic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they have a special kind of bond. Yeah, they do. Um, so, yeah, I, it's all very weird. And I find um, Wesley... If, I know he's meant to be really handsome and, and, and dashing but he does nothing for me unless he's sword fighting because that's very cool uh, Mandy Patinkin and Carrie Ellis sword fighting is, is something to behold it's next and level and actually them yeah yeah I was going to ask you if you had that in your cadre of facts because watching it I was pretty sure it was them but mm-hmm. it was so good that I was like D- is- um, no it's it's them and they got trained by time for another
1: Jackie's fire the sword masters that trained Wesley and Inigo for six weeks intensively, like nine to five every single day, nothing but sword fighting training. And then also between all of their scenes while filming. Yeah. If they weren't shooting a scene, they had a sword in their hand. And so these two guys were Peter Diamond and Bob Anderson. They were both just really well known for stunts and sword play in Hollywood. So Bob, Peter Diamond had already worked for about 30 years. In Hollywood, and he uh, worked with both Errol Flynn and Burt Lancaster. Wow. Uh, he also played a Tuscan Raider in A New Hope. He's the one that surprises Luke on the clifftop. Oh, yeah. And then Bob Anderson, he also coached Errol Flynn and he choreographed fight scenes for several James Bond films in the 60s. And that is Bob Anderson using the dark side of the Force as Vader in all of the lightsaber sequences in the Star Wars trilogy.
0: Nice. So, um, Good work, Bob.
1: Mm. I mean, it's also Swordmaster
0: is... for Lord of the Rings. So he's was still he's the working guy. until not that long ago. He's the guy you go to. He's the guy. I mean, it shows that the sword fighting scenes in particular are exceptional. Like, they are unbelievable. To the point where I'm like Has that level of craft gone into Any movie since Because mm-hmm. Actually watching it And yes I mean I'm sure it has Particularly the movies that our friend Bob has worked on that, that you've just listed but like even in Lord of the Rings the sword isn't as good as what happens particularly yeah. in the scene when Wesley meets Inigo for the first time like that's it's unbelievable and yeah between the level of skill that they're displaying in their sword fighting and throwing in a masturbation gag I mean it doesn't really get much better than that <laughs>
1: yeah I like that bit um, yeah and all of the all of that stuff they start talking about like the Agrippa and the Capoferra defence and all that stuff like that's all like real fencing chat
0: I would be curious to know, uh, you know, in terms of adapting William Goldman's book, you know, his process going from this to the screen and play, how much. Of a conversation took place around this is really important, like getting mm-hmm. this right in terms of their ability and then lacing in the dryness of the script and that kind of wordplay to go along with the swordplay I'm guessing my instinct says that there was a very formal discussion around that but I would be interested to have been a fly on the wall around it. And I will just close that thought with by saying, because I opened it by saying, uh Carrie Elwes isn't really my type, but Manti Patinkin in this movie, mm-hmm. he's doing it he's lighting the candle <laughs> Yeah, he's really Um, attractive in this movie. Yeah,
1: like I loved The Man in Black because I had a really big (laughs) Zorro obsession when I was quite little. So I kind of went Luke Skywalker to Zorro for a couple of years and then on to Wednesday Addams where I stayed for quite a long time. Yes. Arguably never left. (laughs) But The Man in Black with like, his swashbuckling and his flowy shirts and his mask, like, that was... I was like, oh, he he must be a good guy. Man in black must be the good guy, which isn't actually normally the trope, but...
0: He's still a bit of a dilf, you know? He's not, like... He's ageing well, as Mandy. Yeah, got a salt and pepper thing going on. I would have... Given my, you won't care about this, I don't think, but I would have given several of my limbs to have seen him in Sunday in the Park with George, the Sondheim musical, because he originated one of the roles in that. Oh. Uh, he originated the iconic role of George Surat in sunday in the park with george for that one's for any of my musical theater buddies out there who might be listening (laughs) yes he's a talented talented man allegedly a little difficult to work with apparently oh really yeah i have nothing to add on that front other than that's what i've heard but you know men can be divas too yeah that's fine so where does that bring us I feel like and we're, we're kind of all, all over like the place. Just, yeah, I think we are a little bit
1: all over the place. <laughs> we um, haven't really
0: started yet. Shall we get yeah, started? Let's, let's get started. actually start.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the fir- the first scene is sweet, and I think it sets us up for what happens at the beginning. We've got Fred Savage stuck in his bed, playing mm-hmm. sports on the computer. Yeah, yeah. And then his mum comes in and says his grandpa's here to see him, which he's not very pleased about. Which is um,
0: an interesting little thing that the script drops in mm-hmm. because, actually, apart from the pinching the cheek thing, because he says he'll pinch my cheek, and mum's like, maybe he won't. And then he comes in, and that's the first thing he does. But beyond yeah. that, Granddad seems kind of fun. So I'm a bit yeah, like it's but, just kind of dropped in the script that he doesn't want to see his granddad. I don't well, know. the whole scene makes me wonder what's been going on because
1: the thing that the granddad says to him when he introduces the book after he says television was called books—that's a, oh, so a great line. That's a great line. But he's like, "I, my dad used to read this, and I used to read it to your father, and now I'm reading it to you," which makes
0: me think, "Well, where is his father?" Yeah. Yeah, there's Bonds. little nuggets of info being dropped in there that yeah. never really um amount to anything, which is fair enough because I don't think that's the movie, but at the same time it is it's giving us that for a reason. So there could be some kind of pain
1: there, but for whatever reason maybe it's the grandfathers only recently back in their lives or something and they just don't really have a bond. You know yeah. how like when you're little and somebody like an older relative wants to spend time with you and you're just like why? <laughs> <laughs> Until you figure out the thing which is why like it's so nice having grandparents and it's like oh like this is what we used to do together yeah and then that becomes your thing and then that's that's your bond Mm -hmm. so it's kind of setting up that and I was thinking about what you're saying about this is the part this is the story in the film that opens itself up the most to nuance and I think a lot of it is about how boys learn about love and how okay it is to be emotional from their father figures Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. because
1: we start off the film with the I think he's just credited as the grandson being really reluctant to hear anything about the romance he's like oh is this a kissing book where's the sports and then in the end he comes round and I wondered how much of that is through like I don't know maybe this is me being too much like maybe it's Starting to bond with his grandpa and seeing that this is okay to be something that to be interested in if you're a boy.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's lovely. I think that's a great offer because it is. It, there's that sly knowingness to grandpa all the way through, which is like, yeah, you don't want the kissing, but you'll want the kissing later. And the uh, and the bit where he kind of skips past it. And and Fred Savage is like, oh no, no, wait, wait, wait you, you skipped a bit. He's like, hey, but I thought you didn't like that. It's kissing, yeah. you don't like it. <laughs> so like there's that sly knowingness from grandpa that he's like, I'm here to read you this traditional story that was read to me because it's better mm-hmm. than TV and here and you will you will learn why as you get older. Um yeah. so yeah, that's absolutely there. I think it is there. Because yeah. what what is what is that story within the story therefore other than that really Mm -hmm. it is it is telling us something yeah and also that it's I suppose like it's
1: maybe something bad has happened and sometimes it's nice to be in a position where you can tell children the story that is just made up of the bits that they want to hear because you can't always do that in real life
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so he's like in the book of the princess bride the story is that like William Goldman has made up the book, but he in in his book it's a story that his dad used to read to him, and he goes to find it to give to his son. But it's really boring, <laughs> so he's abridged it to be the yeah. story that he liked. And yeah. like that should be okay. And so like actually, if this film is just complete fluff, just like delightful, funny, romantic,
0: colourful fluff, what's wrong with that? Nothing at all. And there is absolutely nothing at all with the, wrong with the idea of abridging it either, because that's what humans do. That's yeah. We are storytelling creatures, that's how we function, it's our purpose, it's our thing. It's it, it's the entire thing that we revolve around, is the ability yeah. to tell, and absorb, tell story and absorb story and pass it down. So yeah, that does make a bigger point without necessarily meaning to, I think. What do we think of As You Wish? It's... Uh, it's fine, it's nice, it's fine. sweet, it's fine. as long as we're not extrapolating.
1: <laughs> I mean, let's extrapolate a little. <laughs> right the alternative story where Wesley is the baddie is is one of two baddies of the piece is um this is Wesley setting himself up to be entitled to love because he's done everything right (laughs) (laughs)
0: look you get the facts you can't also have the scalding hot takes that's not fair And I
1: don't want this to be the case. I think it's just like, it's a nice story and let's just like and stop ruining
0: it, Jackie. Let's ruin it, Jackie. That's the fun bit. If I was ruining
1: it, that's what I'd start with.
0: I'm glad you're ruining it. And I'm sorry to set you up to ruin it (laughs) because that's um, pretty much where I'm at with it. And I also, there's something that bothers me about As You Wish, because what I think it does is it gives Boys, what they believe is romantic, but is actually an excuse for not articulating their feelings. That being cryptic is is sexy when actually it's just stupid. Use yeah. your words, people. communicate. <laughs> So I'm, I'm then, gonna, yeah. I'm gonna offer that too. That's my skull hot take.
1: The nice way
0: to look at this
1: is that <laughs> Wesley's love language is acts of service.
0: Mm. My God, Jackie, you did study. <laughs> I feel like I'm the one in the lecture at Uni who's like, who's rolled in like ten minutes late, slightly hungover, and is like leaning over, going, <laughs> "Did you do the reading? Can I see your notes?" <laughs> I feel like I'm that person on this particular uh, recording um you my
1: notes, Louise.
0: thanks babe all very romantic the rising music i have to go uh i fear i'll never see you again of course you will but what if something mm-hmm. happens to you hear this now i will always come for you mm-hmm. all very lovely um yes and i sort of enjoy the line this is true love you think it happens every day i kind of like that line i think that's yeah something in that I really enjoy. Um, and it is a theme
1: throughout as well because everyone in the film recognizes it separately as like, oh wow, that's amazing. Yeah. As if, like we can not all expect to grow up and find our true love. That doesn't happen every day, like it's silly to think it does.
0: Um yeah. I think the I, I think notions of true love and soulmates etc because I think I think are we talking about the same thing here when we say true love, true love, soulmate are they the same things is that we are talking about? I think it, it maybe is, but I sort of feel like Notions like true love Are a little dangerous I feel Mm -hmm. Because what it suggests Is that there is one Almost unattainable Perfect thing That we should all be striving for And if we don't get it Or We're in something That's actually really quite Meaningful and healthy But it doesn't feel like quote-unquote true love and therefore we dismiss it i think notions of true love are setting everyone up to fail uh dan savage talks about this on his sex and relationship advice podcast where lots of people talk about the one but there's no such thing as the one there's the one you round up because this idea that there is one person out there who is true or who will complete us is a false and dangerous narrative to adhere to because you will always end up disappointed Mm. because people people can't be that you can't be all things to one person
1: Wesley doesn't exist
0: Wesley yeah, doesn't a exist, cup. and neither yes. does Buttercup, yeah. So, as lovely as it is, and that's why I like that line, I think, because it's sort mm-hmm. of gently sardonic and gently kind of poking fun, because, this is true love, you like this happens every day, because actually, mm-hmm. it's a sort of ridiculous notion. It doesn't happen every mm-hmm. day, because it doesn't really exist. Mm-hmm. Is that a little cynical? It might be. I don't know.
1: No, I think that's a really good take.
0: We'll yes. call no, that the um, that, Fran Lebowitz hot take nice and (laughs) okay okay so wesley fucks off he didn't reach his destination apparently his ship Mm -mm. was attacked by the dread pirate roberts who never leaves captives alive Mm -mm. so buttercup gets the news that wesley has been murdered Mm -hmm. murdered by pirates is good says fred savage Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and she went into her room and shut the door and for days she neither slept nor ate Mm -hmm. who hasn't been there all been there babe yeah although you know after all this lockdown time I could do with a little bit of uh, heartbreak because yeah I could do with a few days of not sleeping or eating no (laughs) quit it we don't allow that chat on this podcast no thank Um... you no, thank you, ma'am. I'm just going for the gags. These are the jokes, kid. Um, I'll send you brownies. You that sounds like an attack. <laughs> you, you better,
1: <laughs> you better
0: not do that.
1: I'll send you brownies.
0: Sent brownies through the mail at this point would feel tantamount to <laughs> a hate crime, Jackie, quite frankly. <laughs> so she's very sad. She says, I will never love again. In the script, it says, in parent, parent, I thought you were shaping out a love heart. <laughs> <laughs> that was just for you. I was. And nobody was supposed to see it. It was just me doing that to you. Parentheticals. Am I saying Sorry. that right? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Very tight. In the script, in parentheticals it says, No emotion at all in her voice. I will never love again. Again. Been there, done that. We've all felt that. I yes. like hard relate to buttercup in this moment
1: so note the guilt and trauma which could potentially be used to manipulate her later on let's let's wait and see
0: yes let's. I mean, that couldn't possibly happen. We're not going to guilt trip a woman around how she felt about her own trauma. We're, we're not going to do extrapolating, that. Extrapolating, Louise, we're not extrapolating. Not extrapolating. But it is worthy at this point to note that Buttercup does, in fact, believe that the only person she will ever love in her entire life has been murdered by a pirate. So what we're supposed to read from the script is that she's closing herself off and choosing to mm-hmm. just allow what needs to happen to her happen to her. But she's going to move through life. An emotionalist shell of a woman. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> we're reading that, or how I'm reading that.
1: <laughs> she then is persuaded to become engaged to Prince Humperdinck. Prince Humperdinck, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Played by Chris Sarandon, ex-husband of Susan.
0: Susan, yeah. She kept the name because it, it sounds real mm-hmm. good.
1: Mm-hmm, it it's
0: a good, actor's, a good actor's name, Susan Sarandon. yes excellent.
1: Uh, ran on um, with the name and the career.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you gotta, yeah, you know, maybe that was that was part of the, the whole the whole agreement. That settlement. That was a settlement. <laughs> <laughs> also the voice, the acting voice of Jack Skellington in oh, cool. The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yep. Oh, I hear that now. hmm hmm Yeah. You're not the only one with the facts up her okay. sleeve Okay. Okay. Blow in your mind with more. Louise is oh. If you could set fire To those takes I'm going to whip out A fact or two. Oh right um, <laughs> Well we don't
1: have To pigeonhole ourselves
0: No We can be anything That we want to be We and are independent uh Women <laughs> With Minds And thoughts <laughs> mm-hmm. So yes He is the Acting Not singing voice Because the singing voice As I'm sure Everyone who's listening To this knows Is Danny Elfman
1: From the well-known band
0: Boingo 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 There will be a pop <laughs> quiz At the end of <laughs> Once we hit 10 episodes Episodes, ladies and gentlemen, there will be a pop quiz. So I hope you're paying attention. So Prince and another handsome man is uh, Chris Sarandon. Sarandon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's very 80s handsome. Mm-hmm. He's very like a, a Ted Danson slash
1: Tom Selleck slash Steve Gutenberg type of handsome, if you like that kind of thing.
0: Oh, Ted Danson and... and, and- Tom Selleck Now those are two men Those are just two men Full stop Like the the thing that men Should be I feel Ted Danson yeah. And Tom Selleck represent That was a side note <laughs> <laughs> So yes Now they do this weird thing And I think it, it Must be a deliberate choice To just display status but Prince Humperdinck is up on his little balcony, and he's like, mm-hmm. "I will marry blah 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 blah." He's doing his little announcement, and then the camera cuts down into the crowd, mm-hmm. and she comes through a like a an archway or. or or something and the first time this happens it didn't strike me as weird because i thought okay she's not technically married into the like because i thought right i i thought should she not be up there with him in a world that is normal she'd be up there with him um and then it happens again when she's married to him she has to come well technically technically that's a dream sequence but we'll get there and i wonder if it's a very deliberate choice to just sort of like display status it probably is. Maybe I'm being I think really, it is. like overly granular here. I probably am. Let's move on. <laughs> I think it is.
1: I think Humperdinck, I think we can quite safely say that Humperdinck is pretty narcissistic. And yeah. he is marrying her because uh, it's it's explains a little bit more in the book, but he is marrying her because he needs an heir and his dad's not well. He all he's actually interested in, which isn't explicitly said in the film but actually comes Through in absolutely every single thing he does Is that he's a man of war And he just wants to fight wars And there's a cool thing that's left out of the book Where he has a zoo of death Which is five levels of the most deadly animals That he just like pops in and wrestles Great, Um,
0: zoo of death
1: Yeah, so when he's interrupted to be told That his father isn't well uh, He's at
0: that point wrestling with an orangutan I mean, these are the men you want to avoid Yeah. You go home with a guy, for the first time, after a couple of dates, he has a zoo of death. It's definitely something... It's a red flag. It, you, it's definitely it's something you want to avoid. Yeah. Also sounds like a really good name for a metal band. Yes. yes. So those are my thoughts. Agreed. <laughs> those are my deeply <laughs> academic thoughts. So that that is interesting stuff that isn't really there in the film. He's kind no. of just... He's, He's just a bit meh in the film
1: Yeah, so he's essentially, Buttercup is there Because she's so beautiful And Count Rugen has discovered this When she was a child And is like, oh I know, I know who you should marry It's this girl, she's the most beautiful woman Now the most beautiful woman in the world Back then it was just potential, which is still ecky as fuck But that's what we have So again, it's Buttercup Is beautiful, and that's
0: all she Is required to be Cool, cool story Um (laughs) Sorry. I hope that, no, 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 that's not, you don't need to apologize. <laughs> William Goldman maybe needs to apologize. I yeah. was wondering if William Goldman was aware of how deeply creepy that was and that was why he was doing it. Presumably he was. Presumably that.
1: Yeah, because it's like, we're not supposed to like, yeah. Humpy or Count or Rugen.
0: No, he's he's mining that for for some dark humour, I assume. Yeah. And from what I know of William Goldman's writing, having um, read his book, Adventures in the Screen Trade, his memoir, Adventures in the Screen Trade, is excellent. And uh, yeah, from what I understand of the man from reading that, I am fairly hopeful and slightly certain that that would have been... Satter. Yeah, Satter. So Buttercup... She's marrying Humperdink. She goes for a ride. She does, because it's the only thing that makes her happy. She's alone in
1: the middle of nowhere, no one around, uh, which women don't do for reasons we're all aware, because <laughs> yes. things like this happen. Well, things like this, worse things and real things happen. But she comes upon three men, a small man, a medium man, and a very, very large man.
0: It's a little triggering, this scene, because actually yeah. it is a little. It's just used so casually, In story But actually Being alone in a wood Whether you're horse riding To get away from Your awful husband Or I don't know Skipping off to see grandma It's used so casually Because the people Who write that casually Into stories Don't generally Have it in their head Why that would be like Women are shouting at the screen, that would never happen. Or being like, run the other way if you encounter three strange men in a wood. Like,
1: If she is there and she has a horse and they are horseless, she is not pulling over her horse. She
0: is not pulling over. No, she is going to keep galloping on. The only way that she would... And again, she talks to them very like it's no big thing and she's very polite to them. And the only way that that would ever happen is if she found herself in a situation where she could not pass on, she couldn't keep going and yeah. had to talk to them and therefore she'd be de-escalating any potential yeah. situation that could cause her harm. Again, sorry everyone who's listening to this who wanted a lighthearted discussion about the princess, right? But we they cannot really let, let this pass. Ourselves. Yeah, they cannot let this pass without note. We are aware it's a fairy story. However well, lots of women die in fairy stories too, so let's yes. just... This is, this is one of the least realistic things that happens of all of the unrealistic
1: things that happen in this film.
0: Absolutely. 100%. And the three men she meets are Vassini, mm-hmm. played by the spectacular Wallace Shawn, one of the best character actors of our time. Mm-hmm. I am a big, big fan of Wallace Shawn. I believe That's he great. can do no wrong, and... I don't want to research him too deeply in case he turns out to be problematic because that would break my already battered and bruised heart.
1: The only things I read from him were in—I didn't even finish. Carrie Elwes' book. I'm not. I don't want to like just be reading you the cool bits from the book. But one thing I thought was sweet was that he was really insecure about this role because it was originally offered to Danny DeVito.
0: Oh really. <laughs> Yeah, and it
1: was, it was offered to De DeVito and then to Richard Dreyfuss, both of whom turned it down, and his agent told him that. So he was constantly convinced that he was going to get fired and that he wasn't doing a good job. And he was really um, he was really self-conscious of the fact that he's playing a, a Sicilian, but he's not a Sicilian, and he wasn't doing a Sicilian accent. And Rob Reiner had to be like, in this world, Sicilians talk like you. <laughs> so you're doing exactly a Sicilian accent.
0: This isn't <gasps> real. Oh, bless his little heart. Why did his agent tell him that? I don't know. Oh, God. You know, agents can be really toxic. You know, you hear terrible stories about agents... I mean why would yeah why would why would you tell why would you tell your client that that's just that's just not going to get a great performance out of anyone now is it no just mean just mean yeah. it doesn't sound like he's a big ego and he's just he's just fantastic he is absolutely fantastic in everything he does I love him I love him I'm a huge fan huge fan of all Sean well Sean this is Hi. we're, we're high we're <laughs> officially starting your fan club on this podcast please come and talk to us so yes and uh, we also have the fabulous uh, Mandy Patinkin as an ego Montoya and on Andre the Giant as oh. Fezzik. Quite the little trio. When the three of them are on screen together, it's just, it's magic. It's magic. Yeah, it's very funny. It's great stuff. I don't love it when Fezzik, like, does a Vulcan death grip or whatever it is he does on, on Buttercup and, and she passes out. It's, it's nah. It's grim. All of that's grim. Although, yeah. interestingly, Fezzik and Inigo Matoya are both, like, I just get an, I just get an energy from the two of them that they're just a little bit uncomfortable with this whole situation.
1: <laughs> yeah, so like Fezic says at some point um it just doesn't seem right killing an innocent girl and Vizini's just Tells him to shut, shut the fuck up basically Because they're when they're putting her on the boat to get away They both kind of are just clearly not into the violence of it So the idea when they are capturing her is that she has to be found murdered in Gilder Which is across the way so that Across the, people the sea think,
0: the pe- Across the, the sea so the people
1: of Florin think she's been murdered yeah. by Gilder And then there can be a war
0: Yes it's across um, the sea and a sworn enemy of Florin mm-hmm. apparently Okay
1: so Inigo and Fezic aren't really into it. I can't remember what Inigo says, but he also says something that's just like, I'm not really into this. I can't remember what he says. And then Vizzini basically just reminds them both where he found them and that he can just put them right back there. Yeah. If he wants to. So Fezic was unemployed in Greenland. and yeah.
0: Um, yeah. <laughs> So. <laughs> the way it's delivered is just, no. there's no other way to deliver that line. I know. <laughs> I feel like I put it in my notes because it was like, unemployed in greenland it was yeah. just like unemployed really unemployed in greenland yeah it's just like <laughs> it's it's phenomenal and he's and yeah and he's so horrible to them both and Enigo was a drunk yeah slobbering drunk you couldn't buy brandy yeah and you friendless brainless helpless hopeless
1: and he also calls him at some point a hippopotamic landmass. So just like some good old-fashioned fat shaming just to top off, the, <laughs> top off all the negging. Which upsets Fezzik, but then very nicely we get a little bit of taste of the bromance with the rhyming. So Fezzik's all sad and Enigo comes up to him and says, oh, he's, what's he say?
0: I think it's that Vasini he can fuss. Yeah, that's right. And Fezzik is like, fuss, fuss. I think he likes to scream at us, and then yeah. it's like this little cute. <laughs> and he cheers him up. Yeah, and he, and ego tells him you've got a great gift for rhyme, and then they keep going. Yes, yes, yeah. some of the time.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> so good. It's super cute. It's really good. And then we get this weird scene where with, with the eels, the screaming eels. I mean, I know it's I know it's why it's there. It's just kind of like. It's just, it's just, I don't know. The, scenes, the whole scene's a bit mad. And then uh, Buttercup is dead brave and jumps into the eel-infested waters. Mm-hmm. And the eels, the shrieking eels, they're quite terrifying. They're scary. I don't have yeah. anything else to say. They get her back in the boat, and um, we have this little. I, I suppose you think like, you're brave, don't you? Only compared to some. Mm-mm. She gets her, she gets her deep cut. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to the cliffs of insanity uh, yeah. next. Which so, always makes me laugh. I don't it, Yeah. It, yeah, the cliffs and think just Everything laugh. that Wally Sean says
1: is just great. <laughs>
0: yeah. And then the this scene, this, this hilarious scene where it cuts away. So we get this kind of like far away wide shot of the cliff and the physic. Climbing this rope with everybody hanging off him But his feet aren't really working It's just like this motion yeah. with the hands And he's firing up there really quick It's just, it looks ridiculous and, and very, very yeah. funny And they're being
1: chased by the man in black So the in black, once, once, they yeah. get, once they get to the top Vizzini cuts the line
0: mm-hmm. um, The man in black is still hanging on So Vizini buggers off with physic and Buttercup And the man in black has not fallen to his death Off the side mm-hmm. of the cliff he is hanging on.
1: Yes. So we establish a little bit of rapport with them because we learn that they're both men of honor because Eniko manages to persuade the man in black to accept his help by swearing on the life of his, or swearing on the
0: sword of his father, the soul of his father. He gets the sword of his father, hasn't it? Yeah. Because he has this fancy.
1: Because he, he has this fancy sword. He has sword fancy so fa-
0: yeah, comes up. Inigo also
1: lets him rest. Yeah, it's all um, very
0: nice. It's all very um, respectful. It's
1: all very nice and respectful, but also we know that Inigo doesn't want it to be too easy because he said to Vizini that he's going to use his left hand because if he uses his right, it'll be over too quickly.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: Take from that what you will <laughs> He doesn't actually want to be fighting Somebody who's knackered and not at their best No so, But there are a couple of nice things going on They get started And then that's when we get the exposition for You can get the backstory for Enigo mm-hmm. Which is that his father was murdered By a six-fingered, six-fingered
0: man Six-fingered man, yeah Who
1: had commissioned his father to make a sword for him And then offered him a tenth of the price His father refused and the six-fingered man killed him. So then we know why Inu goes around, what his deal is. And then they start just having a really wonderful sword fight. Sword fight.
0: Yeah, which we have covered actually already in our excitement. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, our acknowledgement and excitement of just how good this sword fight is. We covered it at the top of the podcast. Yeah, it's um, great. It's super good. And they're back and forth while they do it. It's great. They're very sweet to each other without, like, throughout the whole thing. And then I think we get a sort of sequence of defeating people that um, Man in Black, who we know is Wesley, but the audience that if you're viewing yeah. for the first time at this point will not know is Wesley. Um, he's just the Man in Black. We're very disrespectful of spoilers on this podcast. So uh, <laughs> I just assume people who listen know these things. It's been out for 33 years yesterday, as of the 25th of March. So to take my cue from our friend Harry Burns, what's the statute of limitations on a spoiler? I'm asking. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, we get uh, a series of, like, defeats. So Man Black slash Wesley, he doesn't finish off an ego. He respects him too much, so he just knocks him out. And mm-hmm. off he fucks and catches up with Fezzik and Vicini. Yeah, and mm. Vicini thinks this is inconceivable. Did we, in fact, touch on the most important quote in the movie, actually, on the subject of inconceivable? What? I think we just have to insert it at this point, which... Is you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Yeah. Like, I think that's the line I quote the most out uh, of all well, the quotes. Yeah, that's what he says lines. at the top
1: of the cliffs, isn't it's, it? Yeah, he's he still says. following him. Yeah.
0: yeah. And yeah, so then Man in Black has his little chat with Fezzik Mm
1: -hmm. Again, Fezzik is also concerned with being sporting They have just quite a sweet little exchange And the nicest part of that for me Is when Fezzik just sort of lets him try for a while Mm -hmm. Because he says he doesn't want him to die embarrassed (laughs) He said, I want you to feel good about yourself and I think that's really nice, and I think it's why Fezick is the nicest. Fezick is the nicest person in the film.
0: Yes, he absolutely is. And all of this serves beautifully to just like stand in comparison to Vicini, who's mm-hmm. awful. He's um, the opposite, yeah. So yeah, they have a little uh, a little and mm-hmm. uh, Wesley wins by basically hanging off his off of Fezick's neck,
1: which he had to be supported by, like he was like on a table and things, because actually Andre's back was incredibly injured at that point. Oh. Um, so he actually couldn't lift a great amount for him Like he couldn't really have people hanging off his back so much Because partly from his condition Which was acromegaly Which he had from his gigantism And also just from being a wrestler for years And having people jump on him constantly Oh bless him He wasn't actually very well
0: Well that's good It's good to know they were taking care of him So they have their little sportsman like Russell mm-hmm. And Fezzik passes out Although just at this point before we move away In the little exchange that they have Physics says, you know, Princess Bride unknowingly comes right up to date Why do you wear a mask? Were you disfigured at birth or burned by acid or something like that? Oh no, it's just that they're terribly comfortable I think everyone will be wearing them in the future So <laughs> I just wanted to point that
1: out Yes, though so he is wearing it wrong
0: it's, He's wearing it wrong, in again, foreshadowing the future so then we go to this little picnic. Little picnic with the out.
1: The the, the I'd never noticed it before, but he's like laid out wine, yeah. which obviously we come to, but also bread and cheese and apples.
0: Yeah, it looks lovely. It's yeah, it looks very really nice.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and so Wesley challenges him to a battle of the wits because that is the area in which Vizini is the most confident.
0: <laughs> this scene is so funny.
1: And then we get the battle of wits. I have a fact about this, but what did you think of this scene, Louise?
0: I just think this scene's really funny. It's just, <laughs> it's just Wallace Shawn being being great, doing what he does best, yeah. which is. To be extremely funny and annihilate the script in his unique way. And uh, it's also perfect writing for the character in terms of what you want to communicate about the character. Communicate? Uh, Communicate. uh, Communicate about the character, which, you know is that he's just a blowhard. He's just full of, full of shit, full of gas. Yeah,
1: not actually um, super clever.
0: Not super clever, not end. strong, not in the end. He's just, yeah, he's just pathetic. Why? What's your fact?
1: So Wesley wins the battle of wits by m- murdering vicini with poison in the end uh, by making him guess what glass the poison's in. And turns out the poison was in both glasses. And Wesley has been, or the man in black still at this point, has been building up an immunity to iocane powder over the last many years <laughs> so i looked up to see if this was a thing that people did and also if iocane powder is real but it's not but there is some history to support people having immunities to poison mm. but most of the scientific knowledge of it is based on almost like anecdotal or like snake venom's a big ones there's a guy called tim freed and there's another guy called steve ludwin who both inflict themselves with snake venom or snake bites, because the blood of people who are immune to snake bites can be used as an antidote in some instances. But there was an old king, he was a big enemy of the Roman Empire called Mithridates, who was really paranoid about being poisoned to death. So he cultivated an immunity to poisons by regularly ingesting sublethal doses of the same and he invented a complex universal antidote against poisoning, to the point where there is a word called, like, a mithridatic, a medicine believed to be a universal antidote to or preservation against poison and disease. That was another
0: great Jackie's fact. Outstanding stuff. So it is a thing. We're getting and... very close to a situation where we'll have the university of Jackie's fact, <laughs> because, like, this stuff is getting real, like... It's uh, it's called Wikipedia. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and at one point he was he was facing a rebellion against his rule, so he reportedly attempted suicide by poison it, and he couldn't do it
0: because <laughs> he was too oh then, how embarrassing so then
1: his, yes then his friend uh, killed him by the sword but he'd already taken quite a lot of poison according to legend but he was a real man he was a real man so this is, there's two different accounts which you can wikipedia i will put up a link in the show notes that nobody will ever click on
0: nobody will ever click on Great.
1: The other thing I was looking at is to see if there are any poisons that do what Iocane does. I did a very little amount, but still enough that if anybody close to me dies mysteriously, it will look bad. <laughs> um, like, what poisons are odourless, colourless and tasteless? Um
0: And kill people almost instantly.
1: Yeah. The one I could find that was quite famous for being odourless and tasteless and colourless was thallium, Mm. um, which is like a heavy metal that uses a rat poison for a long time and has been used to murder people. It's such a good murder weapon that it has been called the poisoner's poison and was allegedly used by many, quite often women, because women, well, I don't want to go into the case law about women who've killed abusive husbands and then had to use their whole like it's it's premeditated but it's also self-defense yeah i um, get you. yeah yeah I don't think i don't think we need to go into that but um that is basically <laughs> what it was for people so that's why it was a woman's weapon but yes thallium
0: great but, but Not- it kills
1: you a lot more slowly
0: yeah there's very probably very few that kill that quickly
1: mm-hmm.
0: as demonstrated by wallace sean's excellent uh, death by poison acting it's so this seems uh, yeah hilarious i'm sad to see wallace go yeah, that's him. That's him for the movie. Yeah, for somebody who's only in like three scenes. He he makes such a mark, doesn't he? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's one of those ones where I forget that actually we lose him as early as we do because I'm like in my head you're you're in this all the way through, or maybe I just yeah. stop, maybe I just lose interest after you die. Like that's literally like. I don't think he has a single line
1: that isn't quotable.
0: Yeah, he's yeah he's one of the most memorable things about this movie. It's great. Yeah, he's um, no filler. And and his last line is truly spectacular. You fell victim to one of the classic blunders.
1: The most famous is never get involved in a land war in Asia, but only slightly less
0: well-known is this. Never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. (laughs) That's (laughs) what we get. Still funny. What's happening next? What is happening Then next?
1: he's away, so it's just the man in black and Buttercup. I think he just unbinds her, but then makes her run with him. Yeah. Um, and then we get a, a good bit of problematic behaviour from Wesley at this point. Sorry, from the man in black, he threatens her with violence.
0: hmm uh,
1: And worse, He um, effectively slut-shames her
0: Mm -hmm. Doesn't effectively,
1: he does (laughs) He does, he slut-shames her for getting married I think we learn in the book it's about three years after he supposedly died Yeah So if we were extrapolating it would be another little notch In the category of arguing that Wesley believes he is entitled to buttercup And that she is in fact his property
0: And there's also very shitty stuff going back and forward He's basically crossed the ocean to come and find her and save her from this situation. However, he got wind of it remains to be seen i think you know she's basically doing she's she's doing everything like a, a a woman in her situation does she's basically saying you know in terms of the playbook for de-escalation and safety my fiance will come and get you uh um yeah, better just let me go now better let me go now and he says your de- you think your dearest love will save you and she says i never said he was my dearest love but yes he yeah. will save me and then he keeps coming back to a Things like you admit to me you do not love your fiance, and there's this back and forth of like her going, "What's this about?" Like it's literally her going, "I am trying to remove myself from capture," yeah, and you seem awfully focused on the dynamic I have with my fucking fiance. So it's yeah, it's just like I know it's there for a reason. I know it's there to set up the fact that it's Wesley. I get it. I get that's yeah. why it's there. But <sighs> God, it makes me I don't me really tired. know
1: what would have been lost. Here by him just whipping off his mask And being like hey baby it's me Yeah, I'm not dead isn't that great
0: (laughs) Yeah isn't that great and how were you to know So that's why we're going to have this I'm just going to tell you right away Because I told
1: you Like years ago That I would come and get you no matter what Is that
0: why Yeah like it's been three years So it's absolutely fair that you've moved on with your life He could have sent a letter You could have called Yeah so Uh, yeah, it's just a Christmas card. Just, It's just right there And in, in its, its, it's going to pass unnoticed By everyone except women <laughs> Because actually Even without having our true love disappear And then become a pirate Unbeknownst to us While we live in what we think is the knowledge of their murder And have him come back In the context of rescuing us From being kidnapped by a Sicilian, a giant and a swordsman Even without that We've all had this conversation <laughs> Yeah, you know this is bullshit. This, this <laughs> right here is the bullshit, um, and all, but also like. It's Also I'm sorry Sorry before you finish that thought He also threatens to slap her Yeah in the book He he actually does slap her Oh no Yeah Oh no 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 no
1: no And accompanied with Very misogynistic language Of like where I come from There are penalties For a woman who lies Yeah that's in the script That's that's in the
0: script So I can't remember If that is in the movie It probably is Yeah he
1: does say it in the movie Yeah It's like he kind of Raises his hand to get her When she says That she truly loved Wesley Mm -hmm. And also You killed him You're the dread pirate Roberts so that's who she's figured out who he is and she's like so you actually killed my love so essentially who are you to come and tell me my life
0: yeah and- <laughs>
1: then he's like oh well yes no he said please and i ended up it just stuck with me he died well that kind of thing
0: yeah it was yeah he said he tells her that it was the way he said please that caught my caught my attention or something like that and um yeah so it's again it's he's manipulating her again he's using a very kind of like manipulative story to try and get her to feel guilty I think is mm-hmm. the goal And it's just It's just It's all It's all crap I don't like it okay. And it's also it's like if you were This pissed off about it Why did you come Yeah This little tale Is
1: only uh, If we're extrapolating Serving to Help him to control her And manipulate her
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Because he's making her Feel bad about things That were Absolutely not Within her control At any point The woman has No agency In this film And it's not
0: Which perfect. Actually Wesley reflects on your situation when you found yourself captured by the dread pirate Roberts and then in his service and had to hang out with him for three years or yeah. however long it's been until you were promoted to the position of dread pirate Roberts. So yeah. actually, your situations are kind of similar. Except how about showing empathy? Exactly. So how about you get off her fucking case? And unlike you, first available opportunity, she just jumped straight off a boat into a sea full of shrieking eels in an yeah. attempt to get away. Could you not have done that? Could you yeah. not have done that at some point? I am mad <laughs> yeah. But only if we're extrapolating <laughs> Only if we're extrapolating So Wesley pff, Not winning hearts and minds uh, no. Over here at I'll have what she's podcasting mm-hmm. In this moment uh, mm-hmm. They are being pursued By Humperdinck and his gang of merry men One of whom mm-hmm. is Count Rugen yeah. Played by Christopher Guest Wonderful <laughs> Wonderful and he's great uh, He's great yeah. in this, he's great in everything He's great Yeah, so many of his IMDB
1: credits are just him playing Nigel Tufnell <laughs> I, I think it's about 80% of his credits uh,
0: Not that I, I think listeners will care that much at this moment But we did try and integrate This Is Spinal Tap into our uh, options for episodes But we can't find it Yeah We cannot get our hands on it. So if anyone out there can point us to a streaming service that we don't know about, but, you know, after a year in lockdown, there is no stone unturned where streaming services are concerned. I think we would have found it. I think we would have found it. If you have a copy of it or a stream or something, I don't know, a torrent of it, nothing illegal, officially. Um, Well, we want it to be accessible
1: as well, because if we haven't seen it a long time, chances are a lot of other people haven't, unless you have it on, like, DVD.
0: We do want it to be accessible, but I also just really want to see it. So if anybody could send it to us, that would be great. When you're on Christopher Guest's Wikipedia page, he is, his full title, is this right? Hang on, let me just, before I finish this sentence.
1: Are you looking at Christopher Hayden Guest, Fifth Baron Hayden Guest?
0: Ah, that is him. I think that is is him. The Right Honourable, the Lord Hayden Guest. Gosh. I didn't know this. Yeah, he's a, he's, he holds a hereditary British peerage as the fifth Baron Hayden Guest.
1: Jeez Louise. Jeez Louise.
0: <laughs> right. That was
1: another
0: great... <coughs> Louise fat. And has publicly expressed a desire to see the House of Lords reformed as a democratically elected chamber. Well, there huh. we go. When using his title, he is normally styled as Lord Hayden Guest, and he's married to Jamie Lee Curtis. I mean, I didn't know he was married to Jamie Lee Curtis. There's a lot going on in our our journey of discovery for Christopher Guest. My goodness. I feel like the edit probably needs to, at least, Christopher, make it sound like we didn't just go on Wikipedia and find all this out. When you're on Christopher Guest's Wikipedia Wikipedia page, Wikipedia page, Wikipedia page. Feel like you need to make it sound like we knew this going into the podcast. That's what Wikipedia is for, isn't it?
1: That's what Wikipedia is for. Do
0: you know Christopher Guest, one of these people who it's never really occurred to me to look him up because I'm just a bit like, it's Christopher Guest. I like his movies. I watch him in his movies. I have no need to go squirreling around and finding out more about him. And I'm a bit sad about that because there's things I didn't know. He's in he's he he has a cameo role as the first customer. I didn't even know that. I didn't know that was that was Christopher Guest. He's the first customer in the 1986 musical remake of The Little Shop of Horrors. Oh. So the f- first person that comes in and goes, talks about that strange and unusual pa- plant in the window. That's Christopher Guest, and I did not know that. My mind, my tiny mind is being blown. Anyway, he's great in The Princess Bride, which is what yeah, this great podcast Princess
1: is. <laughs> yes, we should talk about that.
0: We should um, talk about that.
1: And I wasn't sure if this is a, a nod to Spinal Tap, but um, he plays Count Rugen, who has six fingers on his right hand. Therefore, his fingers go all the way up to 11. Holy shit. He's got
0: one more finger. If it's not, I... Holy shit. Look. (laughs) I feel like what's happening here is that because William Goldman's book existed, I think before Spinal Tap I think Uh, yeah the book was around the 70s Rob Reiner loved it as a child yes so So I think that is just a but I think that's that's a happy coincidence well I think it might be a retrofit of a of a gag potentially yeah maybe I don't know let's I love it either way I love it
1: it's a nice little (laughs) thing to know
0: yeah (laughs) and that's why I love you And doing this podcast (laughs) with you. That's amazing. Uh, His figures go all the way up to 11. They do. Although we don't know that yet. Again, we don't respect spoilers here. Again, statute of limitations on a spoiler. If we're talking about a movie that's 30 years old. We've yet to leave the eighties. Exactly, I think we should. So. We have to leave the eighties. <laughs> I don't want to get pigeonholed as a nostalgia podcast. Do you know what? I is it already too late? <laughs> I don't care. Okay, so let's get back on track. They're being pursued by Humperdinck and Rügen. Humperdinck is being very clear that only the only thing that matters is to find the princess. And Humperdinck is also kind of like looking at the situation. sort of the aftermath of the situation as he finds it and is able to sort of discern from said Mm -hmm. aftermath that there were two great fighters here and this is what happened so we're getting a bit about humperdinck and his general warmongering
1: yeah ability stuff he knows his stuff and he's clearly having a great time
0: yeah Mm -hmm.
1: just like a few of the little things he says or like the bits where he's uh there will be great suffering and gilder if she's harmed or something like that and he just says it with like this little smile on his face it's like he can't wait to inflict great suffering on Gilda. Yeah,
0: he's excited <laughs> about the opportunity for a war. <laughs> yeah. Because he has another uh moment after he realises that someone has been beaten by a giant and he has this like pity the country of Gilda if she dies mm-hmm. and he knows about the Iocane um, as well. Mm-hmm. He has a me sniff of the, the wine thing. But, he, but does he know it's there because he doesn't smell it? I, I mean, he says he'd bet his life on it. So. Oh, okay,
1: so it's like, oh, it's, it must be Iocane Powder.
0: Yeah, he kind of goes, yeah, yeah. and I, th- I thought that was a gag. I bet my life yeah. on it and the fact that You can't tell I don't know I, th- yeah. I just thought That was a really like clever bit of writing And then is this the bit Where Wesley slash Man in Black Are running through the ravine are they there yet Yes yeah, so we haven't actually covered the reveal Which is so they're chasing through And then
1: they appear on this hilltop mm-hmm. And then that's what starts it's like oh there's your Prince now or something but he's still Berating her about Wesley And she says something like I died That day that's and right he's He's distracted by them and she She says, and you can die too, for all I care. And she pushes him over, at which point he shouts, as you wish. Oh, yeah. (laughs) She realises it's Wesley, and she jumps after him.
0: Yeah, and this is the bit where it's so hilariously jarring for me mm. this moment watching it as an adult because as a kid I probably didn't care but as an adult watching it I'm like everything between them has been so serious and Buttercup has yeah. done nothing comedic up until this point No. so when she pushes him down the hill and he starts rolling down and goes as you wish and she immediately realises it's him yeah And she throws herself down as well and they have this ridiculously overlong tumbling down the side of the ravine. thing. It's so ludicrous and so funny, but very jarring because we haven't yet seen Buttercup be funny. So it's just, even in the context of a movie that is very funny, it feels... Odd. It feels mm-hmm. like a different kind of humor. Suddenly, it's almost kind of Mel Brooksy. Yeah, it's it's fr- it's a bit from another movie with yeah. another set of characters suddenly inserted. And it's it feels like a moment to me anyway, it feels like a moment that in any other circumstance might have made it onto the cutting room floor, but yeah. they just for whatever reason didn't need like they, they they got the movie they needed. And
1: I guess they I just know. had to show that she like I mean, she's just been berated for not having any faithfulness. And <laughs> she, what she has done is think that maybe, you know, he's going to get seriously hurt falling down this hill. So it's what it's telling us is that she is faithful and more faithful than she needs to be. But um, <laughs> she isn't any of these things because she jumps into, like, certain injury, possible death after him. Jump It's like a leap of
0: faith Yes, to him. And I get all that, except tonally... Yeah. It doesn't Great, quite it? sit right with me. Yeah. yeah, so then they go into the fire swamp and it's like if they wouldn't it's I mean it's
1: it's Wesley's version of going into the asteroid field. Yeah. That Han Solo does, because who'd be crazy enough to follow you into the asteroid field um, because nobody has ever survived it. So she's saying we'll never come out alive and he says, You're only saying that because nobody ever has. Been.
0: Yeah. The fire swamp scene, apart from it looking quite good, I find it really dull. I find the fire swamp scene quite boring. I, I can't quite put my finger on why. I loved
1: it as a kid because the rou always surprise me. The rou Yeah, rodents of unusual size. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> they always surprise and terrify me. And I used to play a game every time I watched it where the bit where Buttercup unwittingly steps into the lightning sand, mm-hmm. I used to hold my breath
0: and Aww. see if I would
1: have survived the lightning sand. <laughs> the lightning
0: sand, that's adorable.
1: And it's really hard if I was trying to be easy on myself I would start when Wesley so I could I could usually do it if when Wesley jumps in I can hold my breath for that long I've never held my breath for as long as Buttercup and I don't think she gets credit enough for that
0: well I mean that's pretty much the story of Buttercup's life really at the moment isn't it
1: yeah it is. would have the soonest lungs to (laughs) to spank on
0: yeah it's good and exciting from that point of view feels very never ending story very Jim Henson the yeah. rodents of unusual size are brilliant they look great guys in yeah. guys in rat suits that actually don't necessarily look as shitty as guys in rat suits have any right as, as they could do. Yeah. yeah as they do it's a lot worse and then we come out to the other side and we get Christopher Guest Mm-hmm. And Prince Humphrey was there, so at that
1: point they're just gonna like. There's not really any point there that they can possibly expect to survive. But Wesley is quite happy to try. But Buttercup interjects and says, "If he, I'll go with you if you promise not to hurt him and promise to get him back to his ship."
0: Yeah, this is great. This is a lovely moment where we see. Buttercup displaying uh, an act of sacrifice, an act of de-escalation, negotiation, she very quickly sums up and assesses the situation and arrives quickly at a decision that she believes will result in the best outcome. Yeah, the least amount of harm. The least amount of harm, yeah. And that's why I thought... And more to Wesley than to herself, because she's surviving either way. Yeah, exactly. So it's, uh, again, a a mark of her personality in terms of what she's prepared to give up, what she believes in. Yeah, she doesn't need to neg anyone. (sighs) No. But anyway, I feel like I'm getting madder. Uh, (laughs) So... (laughs) I'm sorry, I need mean to ruin it. I am, you know what? When I see these things, I'm like I'm happy to ruin when it. When she starts to unpack it, and it's and yeah. it's, it's
1: it's one of these things. that's fine, and it's something that I've learned from listeners as well. Like if you ever want. A masterclass feminist deep dive of a film Go to the highlights on Clementine Ford's Instagram page Because she picks films And she nettles right down into the nitty gritty Of like what is this film saying Who wrote this So what's their message Like what is this man's message To this woman's mouth kind of thing and she does arguably ruin it. For some Some things, she doesn't ruin Top, Top Gun comes out really well. Um, a League of Their Own comes out really well. There are a few films that just come out fantastically well. Working Girl does not fare well.
0: Yes, um, I remember you telling no, me about that.
1: Yeah, but at no point is she saying you can't watch and love these films. It's kind of like, just be aware sometimes yeah. that the way that filmmaking is... Is teaching you things
0: Absolutely And I think It's okay to think about the agendas Of the people who are presenting you with art 100% Full marks Yes Two snaps for you Because that's absolutely right And um, I I feel My attitude on it is I have arrived at a point in my life Where I look at these things through a lens That I did not have for most of my Mm -hmm. Young adult and older adult life As a woman moving through the world And I'm glad I have it now. I'm relieved I have it now because I feel like having it now allows me to not put myself in situations that I unwittingly put myself in before or Uh not put myself in, but ended up in because I didn't have the vocabulary or the toolkit to prevent myself from being in them. And... I will still love this movie and still watch this movie and celebrate this movie. But I am glad now that I can see the things that I didn't see before.
1: And also, you know, just some quite often women are faced with choices that are not perfect choices.
0: Sometimes women are faced with impossible choices. Often women are faced with impossible choices. And of course, her negotiation is not honoured. No, it's a double cross. Which is always the case (laughs) Um,
1: Yes So Uh, Humperdinck tells Count Rugen uh, To put Wesley Into the
0: pit of despair The pit of despair Featuring Mel Smith Really Like Is this random? I I don't know if this is random It feels random to me But only because my knowledge of Mel Smith is very rooted in British television comedy, so...
1: Yeah. So this was shot in England, so yeah. there must have been, it was... We had these smaller parts, so what English actors are about that we could get. So Peter Cook's in it later as well. Yeah, yeah. And Curiel was... Yes. Maybe, maybe he knew who was who, but who knows. But yeah, I like that his instruction scene.
0: Where am I? The bit of despair. Don't even think... <clears throat> <clears throat> Don't even think about trying to escape. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, Mel Smith is the jailer. The Well, the albino, I think he's referred to. But I, I've got yeah. him down as a jailer in my notes. I think jailer is the more correct term that we should be using. Yeah, for sure. Because he's just Mel Smith in some uh, makeup. Some in a makeup. Wig. Yeah, in yeah. a blonde wig, yeah. So, well, Leslie's tied up in the pit of despair to be tortured by the machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever the machine does, I don't think it ever really becomes that apparent. Sucks the life out of you, allegedly. Yeah. Um, Buttercup is sad and wandering around the corridors of Florin Castle in her very pretty blue dress. She's just mooning around
1: with her very downplayed suicidal ideation.
0: (laughs) It comes up again later as a gag, I feel. There's a... She has a Princess Diana moment later on when she's talking to. Are you talking about after they're married
1: when she's talking to the king?
0: And she's talking and about she she's, she's going to go to.
1: Because like, I, I shan't be seeing you again because I'll be killing myself. Yeah, and she's, she's
0: a, like, yeah she's going to yeah she's going to her room to kill herself. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't
1: care because she's because she gave him a kiss.
0: That's what it is. She she has a she has a very deadpan channeling Princess Di moment where she's like. You've always been so kind to me. I won't be seeing you again since I'm killing myself when we get to the honeymoon suite. That's her that's Princess Diana moment. Thank you. And it's so deadpan. But you're right, that's much later. That's post the wedding, so the suicide ID, she yeah. comes in a lot earlier than that. And it's... Because
1: uh, oh, she's great. mooning about and she comes in and she says to Humphrey if you say I must marry you, I'll be dead by morning. Which... He says, right, fine, Wesley probably doesn't want you anymore, but we can send a letter to him. Send my four fastest ships in four directions and we'll see if he wants to come back. With you, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but if not, please consider me an alternative to suicide. So we see her kind of, yeah, mooning about the palace. And then we see a scene where she is being presented by then King Humperdinck as his
0: queen. That uh, is the mirror of the scene at the start, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. There's the whole thing with the peasant going, boo! Boo. Yeah, and she's yeah, she's dreaming of basically what she's dreaming about is she's kind of slut shaming herself in her own dream head in a way. Yeah, because she's but, been so guilted. Yeah, she's, so
1: had uh, the things that the beggar lady is saying to her, she's saying to herself like,
0: yeah, um, boo to the
1: queen of slime,
0: boo to the, boo queen of to sl- the queen of slime, yeah, and boo to
1: the queen of slime, <laughs> which is just it's just. all bow, bow to the queen of slime sarcastically.
0: Yeah it's just awful and um and
1: then yeah and then fred savage gets upset because says no she's supposed to marry wesley because he deserves it
0: that's right i've put the words into his mouth that's right Um, because my issue with that moment was no sorry fred savage let me fix it for you uh what you meant to say was she shouldn't have to marry humperdink because she's been robbed of all her agency not she has to marry wesley
1: (laughs) Yeah, cuz is it not something about like how much Wesley's done for her?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's it's the like, thing that Fred Savage is focusing on. Yeah. Like young women, all women, girls not yet women. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If, if boys or men do things for you, you don't owe them anything. Also Maybe a thank you. In case you hadn't been paying attention, Fred Savage, which you clearly were not, was this was part of the negotiation she made in order to have Wesley not be killed on the spot. Exactly. People so, need
1: to give the woman some credit and leave her alone.
0: Yeah, so shut your tiny prepubescent, annoying mouth. And then <sighs> Buttercup asks the prince to bin the wedding. Yes,
1: yeah, so and it comes out it's a dream sequence. So then we know that she's not married
0: to Humper Dick. Please consider me as an alternative to suicide. Every woman has heard that one. I've written that down. Also a good bumble profile. <laughs>
1: <laughs> because he also he was like, please consider me as an alternative to suicide. But she said, like, I don't want to marry you or I'm gonna kill myself. He could have just said, Well,
0: why don't you just go home? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, all right. I'll give you a reference if you can go get get a job. There's uh yeah, there's a lot of yeah, I can't lot, stop thinking yeah. about Princess Diana. I'm sure you've discovered my deep and abiding interest in pain. <laughs> At present, I'm writing the definitive work on the subject. It's, it's a this quote this from is this is movie, the... yeah. as said by Christopher Guest, but also uh-huh. verbatim what it said in my diary, 99 to '02.
1: Only till then.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I th- I don't know how much I've jumped ahead, but I'm taking us a little bit ahead to uh, Christopher Guest and... The machine torturing yes. Wesley.
1: The only thing we've missed there is just the reveal that Prince is planning to kill Buttercup on their wedding night anyway and make uh, it a yeah. like I'm sure listeners by this point in our rant that has been longer than the film you <laughs> will know how we feel about that.
0: Yeah, so I mean, yeah, if you haven't quite picked up Pumperdink as a dick he has an alternative plan. He's obsessed with war. He has no intention of keeping Buttercup alive after he marries her. So, yeah. Christopher Guest Count Bruggen is a little bit obsessed with pain he's he's into it Mm -hmm. and the machine in the pit of despair is uh, something that looks like it has lots of like suckers or suction cups yeah uh, on it and i think the idea is that it sucks the life out of you so i think at one point it says it sucks water instead of sucking water it sucks life or something like that um
1: so he uses that
0: and that looks unpleasant because he's just testing it out on the first setting the lowest setting This being our first try, I'll use the lowest setting, another excerpt from my diary. A little bit later um, <laughs> So they find Wesley in the Pit of Despair And they think he's dead Or yeah. I think he is so they, dead Is he, is he dead? They, dead? I mean he's kind of dead-ish Quite dead So he, they think he's
1: dead He's like he's dead But Enigo has the idea of like Well maybe we can buy a miracle Because Fezzik has a little bit of Brute Squad money that he can spend So they turn up at Miracle Max's
0: It's really in so many ways The only reason to watch this movie <laughs> If you watch no other scene In this movie Watch this scene Watch this one Yeah So Miracle Max Is played by Billy Crystal Mm -hmm. Good friend Of Rob Reiner It's It's a great scene There's so much of it I watch it and think How much of this was was Pure Billy Crystal
1: Apparently it was Like very ad-libbed To the point where Like Rob Reiner Sometimes couldn't be On the set Because he was Laughing too hard And it was uh, Mandy Patinkin's Only injury From the film Because he was Trying so hard Not to laugh That he broke Rib apparently Because yeah. <laughs> apparently He was, was just going off On one I would love to see Those outtakes
0: Oh my god It must have been A nightmare It must have been An absolute nightmare To try and get it through Because looking like the at
1: The bit where like, Inigo's lying And saying When he says Something like well, What so Why should I take this Like why should I work For so little money And was like Oh his like wife is blind Blah 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 But you can see In his face That he is It works because You know he's lying And, and Max knows he's lying But it's also He is not Keeping a straight face in
0: that when he says that. Yeah, and like looking at the script, the only thing that's really in here are the beats that need to drive the actual scene forward. What's on the page here is literally just like I imagine it's a very similar situation to what Disney had on their hands when they were recording robin williams for the genie in aladdin because uh-huh. my understanding of that was that it was just like just tell him what he needs to do just tell him what he needs to get across to get us to the next scene and then other than that yeah. just let him fly yeah as long as you um,
1: include and however long this takes like ah uh, ah uh, and ah uh, <laughs> yeah we'll cut it which
0: is what um, chris does for us yeah <laughs> we and we are obviously as funny and talented as billy crystal and robin williams Usually. we are Usually. the billy crystal and robin williams of female podcasting i mean that's That's what I've been told. That's what I've been told by you. (laughs) Yeah. As long as we've not set
1: the bar too high for ourselves.
0: No, no, no. Entirely achievable. Entirely achievable. Um, Did you know that,
1: actually, given that last last week was comic relief, did you know that it was Billy Crystal and Robin Williams and I think Whoopi Goldberg that invented comic relief? No, I didn't know that. That was a little nugget I came across. I wasn't (laughs) even planning on bringing that up today. But there's just a little bonus fact for you. Better than Google, it's Jackie's fat. Oh, and another one, speaking of Whoopi Goldberg. Time for another Jackie's fat. I also read somewhere that she, sorry, this is a non sequitur in terms of Miracle max, but um, Whoopi Goldberg apparently campaigned for the
0: part of Buttercup. Really? That's interesting. That would have been a completely different movie. Yeah, Probably a better movie, frankly. I think it would have been a completely different... But, yeah,
1: probably better. Maybe a bit more balanced.
0: Yeah, the self-awareness. and It would change the tone of the film entirely. And the self-awareness she would bring to what Buttercup is uh, and, and change that dynamic entirely would be spectacular. Or even if she had just played it exactly the same, but it was like a film in the late 80s where
1: true love was an interracial couple and the black woman who was half of that couple was known to be the most beautiful woman in a century
0: that would have been spectacular that would have been very powerful but also having said that I don't think Whoopi Goldberg no matter how hard she would be working to play it straight she would still bring gravitas Mm -hmm. to it that would still change the dynamic and tone
1: yeah they could have given her no lines and it would have been
0: her (laughs) movie entirely yeah exactly she's just such an incredible presence and performer in every every sense that yeah even if she did it exactly like Robin Wright Uh it, it, it would still be a totally different movie the woman has gravitas.
1: She's an Oscar. She's an Oscar winner, isn't
0: she? I'm pretty sure she is. You've set us down a but rabbit hole. It's not. It's an... a rabbit hole of somebody who's not even in this film. She's not even in the movie? <laughs> she is one of sixteen entertainers to have won an Emmy, a Grammy, an Academy Award, and a Tony, making her an EGOT. I believe that, yeah. that makes her an EGOT. Yes.
1: Who else is an EGOT? Um, John Legend
0: I know got one. Sue. So, Cher one. No, she's not. It feels like she should be, but she's not.
1: It's only because Cher should have everything.
0: She should. Right. Oh, like okay. Barbara Streisand, Liza Minnelli are the obvious ones. But then there's like less obvious ones, but it makes total sense, like Alan Mencken. Right, um, okay. Yeah. Who's
1: he again? I was going to act like I knew who it was for uh, a sec.
0: Totally all right. He's a composer and songwriter. Okay. He has the most Oscar wins by a Grand Slam winner and is the second most prolific Oscar winner in the music categories after Alfred Newman. Uh, yeah, Alan Menken's Disney guy. He is Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin. Uh, oh, okay. He did Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, he's done it all. Like He's the go-to Disney guy and um, he also does a lot of musical theatre and he's the guy they bring in when Disney wants to do their transfers to Broadway. So he is... It's ridiculous. He's the composer you want to be. Okay. Anyway, we are wildly off. off track. Yeah, we'll have a good bit of this film to cover. We should get back on track Well, I would like to get us back on track By uh, mentioning another icon of mine The incredible Carol Kane Oh, yes Who plays Valerie, wife I mean, she, she has officially been playing an old lady For <laughs> yeah. 40 years Yeah, she has And she's not even that old, is she? No, she's she's 68 which... Right, so she was
1: 28 when she, she Or she would have been in her, what, early 30s then When this came out?
0: Yeah, so she's just got that kind of look And I think it's the quality of her voice Voice, the particular quality and yeah. tone of her voice Anyway, Valerie, played by Carol Kane Combined with Billy Crystal is match made in heaven, I love it Yeah, we are not covering ourselves in glory As skillful podcasters right now So let's get back on track and finish this goddamn movie That I originally claimed I didn't have much to say about So, you know, three days later This episode will yeah, finished Here we are <laughs> My friend, Richard had a fact Better Jackie, it's Richard's Facts He's getting really in about your facts He is,
1: but it's okay, (laughs) it's a good fact and this was just something he knew from having been in the museum in London, but the part where Miracle Max has concluded that Wesley is only mostly dead, but, you know, why should he work for so little money and, like, what has he got to live for? And he uses the bellows to breathe a little bit into his lungs so that mm-hmm. Wesley can say true love and then Max is like, he's saying, too brave, And that's not obviously what he's saying, but um, Richard was like, oh, there was bellows. There was, like, a bellows fact. And then he looked it up. And, you know, in olden days, they used to keep bellows like dotted along the Thames So that if ah. people fell in, they would be dragged out And they'd, people use the bellows to bring them back to life Yes That led him on to the further fact of the use of the bellows Which was, in the late 1700s, for people who were otherwise presumed dead It was a generally practiced medical procedure to blow smoke up people's rectums Using a bellows to try and resuscitate them, which was largely ineffective, but it is where
0: the phrase "blowing smoke up your ass" comes from. Outstanding, <laughs> yeah, outstanding. Maybe Richard uh, could be a sort he of is, a remote sorry. fact <laughs> correspondent. <laughs> yeah, he's our medical correspondent. He's he's a doctor. Exactly. He's a tall
1: doctor. Um, thank you, Richard. That's an excellent fact. Almost immediately following that was them actually giving. Wesley, the resurrection pill. He wakes up quite quickly and they have to persuade him at first. They're not his enemies. But he can't, like, uh, he can't walk. He can only waggle his head, I think. Fezzik has been very encouraging and Wesley snacks him down. I just don't really like it when people are unkind to Fezzik.
0: No, because he's he is very gentle and lovely. And I feel like Fezzik's got a very high emotional IQ. He's very tuned into how people feel and he wants yeah. people to be okay and comfortable
1: yeah he so treats I, people the way he would like to be treated
0: yeah so i'm with you i feel like anyone being cruel or unkind to physics just not gonna fly around these no, parts even
1: if you've had a bad day Mm-mm. even if you've had a bad day there's no call to be mean to physics
0: and you know what if you've had a bad day physics is the first one to recognize that and and check in i feel
1: Exactly, he was just trying to be encouraging mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no time for that Wesley, no thank you Wesley We're glad that you can only really move your head So they head to the outer wall of the castle And have a little uh, skeg of the sitch And there are hundreds of brutes visible Outside mm-hmm. the castle Plenty, plenty of brute uh, 60 men 60 to be exact, yes Which is not manageable in their current state As they have a discussion about Yeah
1: at this point, all we know about the plan is it involves a wheelbarrow and a holocaust cloak. And it turns out Fezzik has one because it was lying around Miracle Max's house and it fits so nice he said he could keep it.
0: Oh, what is a, what is a holocaust cloak? I mean, I feel like I that might be kind of... I, is it, what, is it exactly what it sounds like? Is the idea maybe that it's a cloak somebody can wear... And be set on fire and not be burned according to a reddit thread i have found it's a cloak made of a fairly thick mostly non-flammable fabric okay so they set fezzik on fire but he, it doesn't hurt him
1: because he's wearing a holocaust cloak
0: yeah so the holocaust cloak is part of a plan to sort of pretend to be the dread pirate roberts to get into yeah. the castle
1: yeah but I don't think we know that yet So when we leave them making the plan It's just like oh they have a wheelbarrow And a holocaust cloak wherever that is And can't wait to see what you come up with Yeah And then we skip to wedding
0: Yes With another spectacular cameo From Peter Cook
1: Yes Marriage Oh it's such an iconic scene <laughs> It gets me every time
0: That <laughs> it was like a.
1: It was a joy to watch Richard watch that part Because it's like just to see somebody who didn't know that was coming
0: was just lovely. <laughs> this might just be known. I can't. I don't know if he's even like his character. Well, let me see where. I think he's uh, just called the impressive the impressive clergyman. clergyman yeah. <laughs> so it's <was> just like <laughs> it's just funny all around. And then yeah, so we get Humperdinck saying, "I killed him myself," and Buttercup is doing that thing that she does so well, which is to just stare someone down and give them yeah. give them hell with her words, Evil. which is. Then why yeah. is the fear behind your eyes? Yes. Um, great stuff. So everything's kind of kicking off in the castle. The boys get the key from Yellen, mm-hmm. who initially pretends he has no key, but then they instruct Fezzik to rip off his arms, and then suddenly he has the key. Well, you mean this key? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> marriage, marriage, marriage. Escort the bride to the honeymoon suite. I'll be there shortly. Book. Oh, and then Buttercup uh. has a little moment where she's like, oh, Wesley said he would come and he didn't. And it's yeah. Like, Can't believe he didn't come. Sad face, but he... But, you know, we know that we'll get there. Um, And then I think Count Rugen and his crories encounter... Wesley and Ego and Fezzik in the castle
1: Fezzik has to leave Wesley kind of slumped against that suit of armour So he can go and bash a door in To help Inigo, Who's screaming Fezzik I need you (laughs) We have uh, his little speech he's been planning for all these years The fight to the death with Count Rugen is a really really good scene
0: Yeah and the scene that has produced much spoofing Many pieces of merchandise
1: Yeah he gets told he's got an overdeveloped sense of vengeance
0: (laughs) Yeah it's really good (laughs) I feel like when I watch this movie I'm waiting for it to to arrive because you know the I whole think, thing is very iconic.
1: Yeah, for me it is it's the dramatic Peak of the film Yeah Is Inigo's journey Coming to an end With vengeance And Count Rugen Figuring out who he is And Trying to double cross him Like that dagger To the gut When it comes down the stairs Just so Brutal And I yeah, suppose
0: just... The only thing It lacks for me Is It is a sort of Subplot In the yeah. movie That's a little Tiny bit underdeveloped Other than it's there To give Inigo A motivation And it is there's, there's a Perhaps a missed opportunity To Have something that carries more weight to happen between these two fantastic actors. Mm. But again, it's not really that kind of movie. <laughs> yeah. You know, to give it, you know, to, to like give a subplot like this much time. It's not really the point of the movie.
1: Yeah, it's essentially it's not really the main, you know, he is not the princess bride, so it's not really his story. But then I do just feel like he is the character, as much as like Wesley and Buttercup or true love. I think like Inigo is the most it's the most we know about anyone. I think
0: yeah you're right actually he's the only one with a history Mm -hmm. apart from I mean to a certain degree Wesley and Buttercup have a history but it's it's only the tiny little bit we were presented with to sort of kick the story off that they met when they were both working on a farm or she was hanging around the farm and he was working on the farm um so yeah he's the only one with any backstory and and real motivation beyond Mm-hmm. The, the the big headline banner of true love there's something more interesting to be explored there in a, in a different movie yeah just an idea <gasps> just an idea so oh god and then the, the next scene i think is when um buttercup is in her room and wesley's in the bed yeah and there's this clangor of a line mm-hmm. it's i hate this line so much I don't need, even need you to read it out. I know
1: that it, it is. There's a shortage of perfect breasts in this world. It would be a pity
0: to ruin yours. That's the one. Clang. Fuck off. We need a clanger. We need a clanger yeah. jingle or sound effect for when these lines appear because it's a fucking clanger and I hate it. I absolutely hate it. It's the kind of thing that creepy guy that you dated would say to your friends because he thinks he's being charming. Yeah. But he's really not. And it's the kind of thing that might be
1: funny after you've been going out for a couple of years. No, it's never funny. No? Just no.
0: I'm not going to let you do it, Jackie. I'm not going to let you justify it. No I don't know Why I'm trying to justify it Just Okay no I see Where you were going with it Like if it was said Between you and the person That you're dating Behind if closed like, doors and, and it's not While you're like About to actually Commit suicide Because of
1: your broken heart yeah. It's not time for jokes Wesley No actually no I'm taking it too seriously I'm just being a dick now uh, It's it's just a shit thing To say It's,
0: it's just It's a shit line Do yeah. you know what I mean Because I see what you're saying Like if it was a jokey thing Like if your boyfriend Said something jokey About your tits in the, in the privacy of your own home that's one thing but in the context of a movie yeah it, it's just a clanger it's a clanger yeah i'm not saying it's overtly problematic or anything like that it's just a clanger of a line and it's, yeah. it's just not that funny and it's just kind of cheesy and kind of i yeah. don't like it i don't like it no sir, i don't like it yeah. that line can fuck off and then there's yeah she, she gets excited about seeing him and she runs over to him and she's I, I find it hard to get excited about this scene. Yeah. I mean there's more, there's there's some other um yeah clangers in there. She's like, she says, Wesley, will you ever forgive me? And he says, What hideous sin have you committed recently? Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I know. I, don't I assume know. he
1: is joking at that point, but you can't yeah, just he, gaslight yeah. her about it. like you can't just slut shame
0: her the entire film and then be like, What, darling, you didn't do anything. Your yeah. fault that she feels this <laughs> way. I have no doubt that it's meant to be funny. He's joking with her. I know that's what it is, but it just feels... It feels like what he's saying is... I'm still of the mindset that the the thing we argued about before is a thing you did wrong. Anyway, uh, she's trying to justify herself, uh, and that's all fine, uh, because he's like, it didn't happen, uh, because we sort of skipped the I do part. Mm -hmm. And then Humperdink's in the room, suddenly, and we get him... I'm just, can you take over from here? I'm just like, oh, whatever. Men and uh, right, so yeah, then he comes in and...
1: Wesley's like I don't know they're gonna fight to the death and then Wesley's like no to the pain and then the pain is the prince is like oh, okay I'll bite what's the pain and then it's all about how he's gonna chop off his hands and his eyes and his nose but not his ears so that he can hear the shriek of every child who weeps upon his hideousness or something and it's very dark yeah so that scares him enough and we don't think Wesley can stand, but he just manages to stand. And that's the last little push to get Humperdinck to sit down where Buttercup ties him up. Mm-hmm. At this point in the book, it's worth noting that Buttercup is just a little bit slow off the mark at this point. And uh, Wesley reminds her that she is the property of Dread Pirate Roberts and she will do what she's told. Great. I uh, think it was
0: wise to remove that line. Yes, the, the somebody smart edited that out. There is a great Um, insult in this, actually, that's worth remembering should you ever need it. You miserable, vomitous mass. That's That's a good good one. one. Yeah.
1: It is good and also like as much as I know I, th- I think I've just persuaded myself so hard throughout this period that Wesley's the worst but actually Carrie Elwes delivers all of this really really well and I love him and oh yeah he's is, great it is a good bit I think I'm just feeling jaded about it today for some reason uh, um, it's fine it's good it's good and it wraps it up all quite nicely
0: and Carrie Elwes by the way is another frightfully posh boy is he yeah oh oh, he's uh yeah he's from good stock born ivan simon Carey elwes in westminster london he's youngest of three sons of portrait painter dominic elwes and interior designer and socialite tessa kennedy he's the brother of artist Damien elwes and film producers cassian elwes and milica castner he's a connected posh boy yeah Uh, But still not not... as posh as Christopher Guest, though. Still not as posh as Christopher Guest. (laughs) We're not going to hold it against him, though. He seems like a nice enough guy. guy. Seems to be all round fairly decent. No no problems, from what I can see. Fairly active and fairly decent. Yeah. Yeah, he seems to be... um, He's
1: been a member of some very, very good, successful franchises. He was in Saw... Then mm-hmm. in uh, the latest season of Stranger Things, I believe. Yeah. And uh, he was in Robin
0: Hood Men in Tights, which hasn't aged well. Uh, no, it has not. We we will not be discussing Robin Hood Men in Tights. Oh. He met his wife, who he's still married to, in 1991 at a chili off in Malibu, California. Oh, I love that. I just think that's very sweet. I don't. Know. They got engaged in '97, and they married in 2000, and they've been together ever since that's really Uh, nice uh, he's yeah he seems like an unproblematic chill guy so we will not hold him being frightfully posh against him no Um,
1: and i read in his book um that he and robin wright had big old crushes on each other during the
0: filming of this but nothing nothing happened that's sweet that's nice so you're all right carrie okay so we tie up pumperdink
1: Yep, Inigo comes in to get them And then they're like, oh, how are we going to get out of here? And then they hear Fezzik calling Inigo And he's just found these four white horses <laughs> Yeah, And like, oh, I thought I'd just take them In case we bumped into each other And I guess we have It's and all very Inigo, sweet <laughs> It's really nice And then Inigo's like, Fezzik, you did something right you know, I think Fezzik has done
0: lots of things right in this yeah, film but, that, that Yeah, that line feels slightly wrong to me Because I'm like, at what point did Fezzik do something wrong? Inigo. And it's, yeah, and it's not really like Inigo
1: to be less than encouraging of him. Yeah. No no one would be where they are at this point if it wasn't for Fezzik.
0: It's, uh, and doesn't he say something about them being three friendly faces as well when he sees them? Yeah. It's all very sweet.
1: Uh, yeah, in case I ever bumped into you, because there'd be three of us or four if we ever found the lady. Hello,
0: lady. Hello, lady. <laughs> <laughs> He also, like, he opens that little speech with being, saying, I've been so lost, Inigo, and I stumbled yeah. into the Princess Dio. So he's like, just just prior to this, before he calls up to the window, Wesley and Inigo have this little exchange. where like, where's Fizzik? I thought he was with you. No, I thought he was with you. So there's like this genuine, like, concern for where Fizzik is, and then yeah. it leads into this scene. It's just, it's all very cute. I know, but Physic's response to Inigo saying, you did something right, was, don't worry. It doesn't, he said, like, don't worry, I won't let it go to my head. Yes. Yeah. Just,
1: Oh, Fezzik. He's the true hero of the Princess Bride.
0: I think he is the true hero of the Princess Bride is what I think we're coming to learn as we close in on the end of this epic. So Buttercup sort of just floats out of the window. (laughs) Yes. Kind of jumps out and just floats and and Fezzik catches her. And then we have this great line from Inigo: "Uh, I've been in the revenge business so long, I don't know. He essentially says, I've been in the revenge business so long, I don't know what to do in the self now. Um, Yeah. Have you ever considered piracy? Yeah. And so then they jump out the window, but we don't really see if Fezik catches them. They just jump out the window. Yeah. I think I think they just jump right onto their horses or something. Yeah. That's in my head. (laughs) The scene plays out that way. We don't see it in the film, but in my head, yeah, they land on the horses. Yeah. And they ride off into the night, and then we get Granddad coming back in and voiceover. And on their right to freedom, a wave of adoration swept over Buttercup, and she reached for Wesley, and as he reached for her, and dot dot dot. Yeah. Because grandfather's not going to give him the kissing scene. Yeah. <laughs> but he kind of wants the kissing scene. He wants it. He kind of wants He, the wants it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he nice. doesn't mind so much. He don't mind he so much. He doesn't mind so no much. More. Uh,
1: which is lovely. And then he wants his grandpa to come back tomorrow and read it again. To And his grandfather yeah. says, as you wish.
0: Yes. Um, it's so cute.
1: And I think also just the discomfort that you hear of with men, particularly of an older generation, saying I love you. Mm-hmm. So there's a sweetness behind that because we know what As You Wish means.
0: Yeah, it's, yeah, it's very poignant. It's just worth noting, yeah. It's definitely worth noting. And that's kind of it. That's it. So we have this beautiful little moment between the old man and his grandson. Mm-hmm. And that's what the film's fit. And that's it. That's Princess Bride. <laughs> I didn't
1: mean to be such a negative Nancy about the the love story, but it's just worth knowing that those elements are there. I think it's It's okay. I still love it. I want it on the record that I still love this film. Mm -hmm. And I do still think it's really romantic.
0: Yeah. It's like, I would also like it stated on the record that I still think this is an absolute banger. And it's wonderful. It's funny and it's exciting. And it's a very fantastic swashbuckling adventure story for both adult and child alike it's great yeah yeah there's Um, something
1: in it that it's like it's got all of like the adventure and action and like funny bits like physical humor in it that can grab you when you're tiny like when you're five or six But then I think this is why it's such an enduring film, because there's so many like funny little moments that you can watch it every year, your whole life. And then suddenly you'll get different jokes.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. And you know, we unpacked some gendered stuff as we went through where Buttercup is concerned, but really stepping back from it a little bit Mm -hmm. and giving it a bit of a, a wider and kinder lens. Like Buttercup, despite the fact that she is she's going to lack agency just by virtue of the fact that throughout the history of time of, of storytelling up until this point, the princess or the damsel in distress trope exists. And that's the situation we're in. But yeah. in terms of how she handles being that trope, there's some moments of real kind of bulshy, brave, yeah, good stuff Dumped from yeah, from Buttercup. From yeah. jumping into eel-infested waters to standing her ground and a willingness to sacrifice herself for what she Believes in Or mm-hmm. Or not so much What she believes in But she's prepared To make difficult choices
1: There's been like Fuck it I'm not your puppet even Like Yeah And it It, it would have been tragic If she'd I mean, tragic if if any woman ever dies, but to have committed suicide. And that was actually what Humperdinck, that would have been fine. It would have saved him the bother.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, you know, drawing this parallel a little bit too heavily between her and (laughs) Princess Diana. (laughs) And I shouldn't, because Princess Diana's situation was far more serious because she was a real person. But yeah, it's a good film. I Mm -hmm. liked it. So... It feels like this would be a good moment to announce the next film.
1: Yes. Because
0: the polls uh, so were in.
1: The polls were in. So we did. We decided that, um, for whatever reason, we don't want it to be left completely up to us what film we do next. So we've decided that we should have a link between every current film and the next film that we do, be it a link through a member of the crew or the director or a member of the cast. So we put it to Twitter and... Gave Twitter the choice of Carol Kane in Adam's family, which I now realise was incorrect. It should have been at Carol Kane and Adam's family values. Let you away with it. Thank you. Very, (laughs) very kind to me. And the other options were Robin Wright in Wonder Woman, which would have brought us a little bit further into the present uh, because we have yet to leave the 80s. And thirdly, Wally Sean, who plays the adorable Mr. Hall in Clueless, and that was the winner.
0: Uh, It was. Now, I was not surprised by these results at all. I know that you want to drag us kicking and screaming into the modern day, but the people have spoken. I just think it would be good for us. (laughs) The People Have Spoken and Wonder Woman got a measly 8.3% of the vote, followed by 41.7% for Adam's Family with Carol Kane, or Adam's Family Values, rather, with Carol Kane. We just would have had to do them both. Yeah, but (laughs) Clueless, Wallace Shawn and Clueless swept it with 50%, and that did not surprise me. If I'm being honest, I think you just have to give the people what they want. And nobody wants to leave the 80s or the 90s quite yet, because quite frankly, things go downhill. They go downhill, Jackie. People don't want to be there yet. We're not having a good
1: time here in the 20s. No.
0: It's not nice. (laughs) So, episode six, The People Have Spoken, will be clueless. And then we will put it to a people's vote once again. Are we doing Twitter? Will we try an Instagram, see how that works? I think we should do both. Then how do we decide? We gather that data, we figure it out. Get those votes, we count them. That's our job. Okay. (laughs) All right, people, thank you for listening. Thank you for bearing with us as we talk through our system. The system. (laughs) thank you ever so much
1: thank you for bearing with our takes and our tangents today
0: Mm -hmm. casual reminder that if you want to share what you think you could do so on twitter by following us at she's podcasting and using the hashtag she's podcasting and
1: please feel encouraged to tell your friends if you've been enjoying any episodes in particular and give us a rate and a review because it helps people find our podcast
0: we like people who don't know us personally in the real world to follow and listen (laughs) it's very validating it sure is apparently so uh we hope that you enjoyed it too and that we won't end up unemployed In Greenland? (laughs) So drunk we can't even buy brandy. As you wish, Jackie Farmer. As you wish. That was I'll Have with She's Podcasting. Thanks to Chris Gorman for the edit and the sound design. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at She's Podcasting. If you liked this, you might also enjoy our sister podcast, Persistent and Nasty, which is all about amplifying marginalized voices in film and theater. Thanks for listening and see you next time.